Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode four of ADHD Chatter. This week, I speak to an amazing ADHD life coach called Christian Eamon. Christian shares his story with an amazing amount of honesty, and he shares the tips that he's used that has helped him maximize his ADHD and harness it in a positive way. He's one of the most passionate people I think I've spoken to on this topic. You can hear it in his voice when he's speaking about it. I think you're going to get a lot from this episode. I certainly learned a lot from it. I'll let the episode speak for itself. Here we go hey christian thank you so much for joining me on this friday afternoon starting from the very beginning if i could speak to your parents or i could speak to your teachers or anyone who knew you as a child how would they say christian was and behaved yeah um i, I was known as being very dreamy that's that, that's definitely one thing i recall um and just to put this into the ADHD context, I, I don't fit into that uh, typical um, boy jumping over tables kind of uh, uh, concept or, or idea of ADHD. Um, I, I'm, I'm more like on the in, inattentive side of things. I mean, definitely like I, I, I would say creative, but like also absent-minded, uh, uh, dreamy, possibly um always forgetting things always forgetting stuff actually like many things that about my childhood i um i, I can reflect better on in, in hindsight so as so post post-diagnosis like more things add up more things make sense um which is very important also in terms of self self-forgiveness uh i would say also but also forgiving other people because you only can see you know with your i guess mindset that you have at the time i, I would say like uh 20 25 years ago adhd was not so uh i think there was le much less of um, le much less awareness than th there was today i guess so yeah, yeah I, I mean these words would definitely apply i think it also depends on like to to whom you're talking to and um yeah, these are like the third first things are, that are coming to mind, possibly much more later on. I think there'll be a load of people listening who will listen to you say that and, and recognize 
themselves in that. I certainly do. I wasn't the traditional problem child or hyperactive. I relate to what you said. I was quite dreamy, I suppose. If you read my school reports, I think they would probably say that I was very quiet and I had uh, potential, but I <laughs> I, I lacked the motivation. Um, very quiet, very like, you know, back of the class, not a, not a problem child. What, what, what do you think your school reports? Do, do you remember what they used to say? You know, the fun thing, like, uh, can you show me your school reports on like 20, 30 years? You know, so ask somebody with ADHD, where the heck, how, how should we do like, your document, <laughs> your documents are? I actually, I don't know. Um, I mean, I mean, they, they do exist. At some point, I had to uh, drag them out for the diagnosis. So I had to call up my parents. Do you have them somewhere still? And so, so on. I'm, I'm not sure whether there was any, anything, uh, you know, quote unquote, worthwhile, what people who do a diagnosis would be looking for. Yeah, I think it was overthinking a lot of things and, and uh, trusting myself to do stuff on my own in the way it was expected. I think that was like a, a challenge. However, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, like, usually you find more content in primary school reports because then, you know, it's usually written. Um, when you go up, you know, in secondary school, it's really, it's just great. So there's not much, you know, information. I mean, I mean, there are lots of difference. I think in, in, in primary school, uh, you know, I mean, just looking at grades, it was very, very good, actually. But I think I was back then maybe like intelligent or smart enough that I, that this was sufficient at that time to, to mask it. Right. Mm. Um, whereas it's very dif different, uh, I guess, when you become a teenager in secondary school and when you graduate and then the, there's more independence asked from you and, you know, organizing yourself. So that was definitely, yeah, so that was definitely different. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so not sure what's in the school reports. Um, and uh, <laughs> I mean, you would just, just have to follow me with a camera. For, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, no, it's really interesting because... Um... I remember my school reports really well and I think they sort of said what I mentioned earlier is that I was very quiet and had had the potential but didn't necessarily have the confidence to act on it and um, did, did you ever have any experiences with sort of um, I suppose we would call it rejection sensitive dysphoria now uh, but I could look back through my early years and, and see some moments where that was apparent did that ever crop up in your earlier years? Yeah, I mean, all the way uh, through adult, uh, adulthood. Um, and it's interesting when you said, like, uh, now we can say rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Of course, that's not like a term in your vocabulary as a <laughs> seven, eight or nine year old or a teenager or, uh, you know, um, all these things. Um, yeah, of course, like, like over-interpreting and overthinking every word that's being said in your presence or about you and then like asking yourself does this person have a problem with me it you know did i do something wrong also like the the fear of reaching out to somebody because there might be you know which so yeah i mean that that's uh definitely a big a huge huge narrative which is which is luckily much much better now i mean of course it never goes away there, there will always be this appearance but now, knowing that I have ADHD, I can relate it to, to my ADHD and, you know, work better with it. Like, you know, mm. just the awareness is there. And so, yeah, I mean, it, of course, it does show up, but then I, I spot it. I, I can catch it much better. Back then, I think it was more of a question for me, like, I'm, I'm bad. I'm not cool. I'm not like this. I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy to, um, and, and all these different kind of things. So... Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely uh, did, did show up a lot. It can really stop you from putting yourself forward, I find, with even when I understand it more now. 
because it's sort of a defense mechanism where you don't want to put yourself in a position where you might make yourself vulnerable to rejection or criticism. But I think with the awareness that I have now and understanding that it is a probably a character defect of mine and actually it's not necessarily the person in whatever situation it is that is is giving me some feedback negative feedback to not try and to not take it to heart and with the understanding and and with it wrapped around the context of ADHD I now am aware that it's not necessarily the whoever it is who's who's telling me something that might be perceived as rejection or, or criticism um, that it's actually not them being a horrible person, which I think when I look back and I think to my teachers um, occasionally, you know, I, I would get told off. And you know, another child without ADHD um, might be frustrated at the time. But for me, I, I can think of a couple of occasions where I quite rightly got told off for something and I would with, withdraw. And for the mm. rest of the day, I would go and, and really go in on myself, even probably more than I had done before. Um and I just got this really strong, like internalized feeling of, I suppose, shame and rage. Funnily enough, there was like this feeling yeah. of how dare they tell me off. There was like this in, indignant shame and rage. I suppose. Do, did you ever, do you ever get sort of a feeling of yeah, uh, a, anger? Yeah, I mean, Evan, uh, I mean, uh, good catch there. It's it, it is really like a, a. I mean, I also my experience a mixture of anger and shame and being angry at the person but also angry with yourself because you like to be different and uh yeah it's it's actually really what's uh you know what was what was happening to me or, or what's happening anger frustration which resulted like for me like throwing things around for example but never in the way that i would it would get me into trouble too much funny enough um so i i would not do that in class i might do that at home but only when nobody else <laughs> <laughs> is around yeah I, I, I guess i sort of needed something to to um you know release it um mm. yeah it's it, it is a mixture of shame and anger at the same time when was adhd first mentioned in your life i think maybe i'm not like really uh i don't have a like, good memories about it um when i was 14 i uh, my parents took me to a child psychologist but of course as a teenager you know who has as teenagers you have problems galore anyway you know with figuring yourself out and then you see psychologists and you have like this idea of what that means you know like that you're mad or crazy and i you know had big problems going in there and i uh, i think i was not very helpful in hindsight i, I learned it was about adhd suspicion but they didn't find anything for some uh yeah i don't know whether the diagnostic tools have, have changed since then I mean, I certainly know that uh, there are lots of people go undiagnosed because they don't fit into that uh, diagnostic scheme, if you will. But um, later on, it was um, actually my, my wife back then, we were, um, she was my girlfriend or about to be my girl or something along those lines. And there was like certain behaviors she observed about me because like her brother has ADHD, is diagnosed with ADHD. And uh, for example, uh, she's from Brazil, so she speaks Portuguese. So she wanted to teach me Portuguese as well, and she made like some like flashcards and whatever. So, but not only that, but I will also like you know book tickets wrong or like uh, for the wrong day or like you know overspent money on certain things like and and uh, that somewhat seemed to be familiar um, to her. And then she told me, um, I mean, I can remember, <laughs> I can't remember this. It's like such a so unfair sometimes. Um, but, um, but she told me that when she, when she told me that 
um, I think you have ADHD. Apparently, my response was, no, I don't. What's that? <laughs> like, first, no, I don't. And then what, what what's that? It doesn't make sense. But so I, I think I, I cast the side for a while. Um, it, it was it was later when I um, was uh, was living in uh, Vietnam. I was there for three years, working at an international school there, um, and uh, then everything was just like worse because uh, I, I'm not sure to what extent expat expat culture or like just being by myself there without any rules because you know like living in Vietnam as an expat sometimes was a bit like the wild west um if you will and just being there without any rules and just like joining all the drinking and the partying and whatnot and um but also like really struggling uh in the workplace i mean including rsd big time because whatever i, I try to do uh, you know i mean i was working very hard in, in my my job and was creating all like individualized things and, and lessons and whatnot but mm. uh, yeah, but it was like working twice as hard for the double amount of negative feedback, uh, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she visited me also there for three months. And then it was very challenging for her because uh, I was frustrated all the time and angry. And uh, so she had a bad experience too. So we were looking around and tried, okay, like where in Ho Chi Minh City in Saigon can we find any uh, support? So there was a French clinic, I guess, where, where they had the psychologist uh, um, and... I mean, there wasn't like any official diagnosis, but uh, but it was, but the information I gave was enough that uh, that I could uh, that I got uh, prescribed Concerta. I think it was Concerta, like the um, medication, which I used for a while. Back then, I also um, disclosed my ADHD uh, to my line manager. Um, she said it's better not to talk about it, which I'm afraid. Um, and you know, talking also other age years, it's it's unfortunately. Uh, it seems like disclosing your challenges in the workplace is usually not that that welcome. Um, in hindsight, I would say it's uh, not because she meant uh, no, it was like uh, out of a bad intention. Possibly quite the opposite, maybe to protect me because like she is also aware of the stigma and she doesn't want to get me into trouble or or whatnot. So I didn't have a full diagnosis, but um, so then it took it for a while, and then when my <laughs> when my uh, wife le- back then still girlfriend we were not uh, uh yeah married yet um when she left um going back and i was still there for a couple of months i stopped taking it because uh i didn't want to spend money <laughs> on the medication um and then like next year when i, m- I moved to switzerland then then everything like the same pattern came over and over again it was like when, whenever i went to a new workplace it was like okay but this time it's working out i just have to pull myself together so this time is working out then do this this and this and then I was like, it's crazy. It's like the same thing happening over and over again. And I just don't find a way around it. And uh, so that was very, very frustrating. Like also, of course, how people would respond to it. And uh, you cannot make meaning of that. And and so it was, uh, yeah, uh, five years ago where, like, uh, where everything took a complete nosedive again. And the question was, you know, is she is she going to put up with this any any longer or no? So then we went to have like an official diagnosis finally. And then it was like clear as night and day <laughs> that I have ADHD. Um, fun fact, I, I nearly forgot my wallet there. So <laughs> just like to additional confirmation of the diagnosis. <laughs> 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 so, 
and um, and yeah, then I got uh, medication uh, prescribed, and then many things uh, changed positively, um, actually quite quickly, because like one skill I I developed over time over the years is is definitely resiliency, um, because no matter like how often I failed, I always got myself up again and try again and try harder. I mean, not always in the healthy sense, but I always you know. Um, um, yeah, I always, I think I was like headstrong enough, like when I really wanted something that I really was putting my mind to it. And now with the medication, like many things change. I was about to lose my job, but then after medication, like many, so many things changed and I, and I showed, showed up totally different that I could stay, um, uh, with not only that, it like many, so many things completely changed and, uh, yeah. So, um, I, I actually forgot now what, what the original question was, but I think it was like uh, I can't remember mapping either. Out, mapping out my uh, my AD, I think yeah. When when did I hear ADHD for the first time? Mm. So yeah, there's a, there's, there's um that was fascinating. I mean, there's so much to delve into there. And I'm not, I'm not we you sort of you know talked about your 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 partner recognizing it because she had a ADHD in her brother. Yeah, and you mentioned disclosing in the workplace now that's a whole conversation on its own um so i'm gonna i'm gonna put that to one side for a minute um i could we could talk about that for hours um the diagnosis process in vietnam that was what, what did that involve it was basically the psychologist asking me a couple of questions about my, my challenges um took a couple of notes i'm not sure whether there was like any testing involved i mean as I said, it was not an official diagnosis, it was a suspicion. So, and he also didn't give me a diagnosis. He said, there's a suspicion that, but uh, of course, I'm not sure like what like the, you know, drug regulations are there, but um, it was, so the information he had was, was enough that um, I could get um, the concert, that I could get the prescription for the medication. So that, let me put it this way. I mean, there were like other things in the air, like anxiety, um, which, which now like I would relate to RSD. So later on, when I got my official diagnosis, um, actually it's, it's super interesting how, how little I can remember from, from having diagnosed. Maybe, maybe that means it was a good diagnosis. I don't know, but, um, uh, I definitely can remember like to, um, sketch out some things or to, to connect certain numbers and, and whatnot. And, um, some questions I had to answer. Yeah. And. And, yeah, inter interesting point. I think uh, I want to go back to that and see like what 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 were the actual questions. I think back then I was only interested in like, you know, having it black and white and knowing what it is. So the diagnosis process in the UK, lots of questionnaires filled in by yourself and also by someone who knew you well from your early years. And then you have a two hour or I had a two hour meeting with a psychiatrist, psychologist um, and then and then you get the feedback and similar to you mine came back as the let the words were clear as hell um and it was really bizarre she said she said that she could sort of even before we started the process or the interview she she looked at me and could just tell by mannerisms and and my the way i was presenting on the on the phone call that it was a high chance that that i ha had adhd um you mentioned Medication. Now, medication is. I. I. I would. We're not giving out medical advice. I'm fascinated by the topic. I've. I've never taken ADHD medication. Um, I drink a lot of coffee. Um, but. But when you said you said you've taken it, I think you said Concerta. Um, uh, I. 
initially yeah i mean uh, that was in in vietnam um now it's uh it's actually ritalin how did it help or 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 was it was it good or bad overall it was a it was a overall a very good experience uh, i um i found myself having definitely less mood swings um that's that's for sure i was um I'm not. I'm not sure if I was more organized uh, per se necessarily, but my my outlook to life changed a little bit. I, I felt more capable and able of actually doing the things or getting getting things done. But I think the biggest impact was definitely on my my mood swings and being yeah being able to focus for a longer period of time. I think that's like the biggest one on on certain tasks um, mm. and uh, some. I don't want to say someone's being completely sucked in, but that's definitely a big difference. It, it helped me, especially if I'm in an environment where there are lots of stimuli happening at the same time. Um, so that means um, I, I don't always take it. Um, I can be flexible with that. So I, I would take it much less during the weekend, for example, unless there's something like <laughs> fighting uh, taxes or something, <laughs> something like this. Yeah. And uh, during the holidays, I, I don't really take it. So I, I can monitor that myself. But like, you know, being able to focus for a longer period of time and having less mood swings, that was definitely, um, yeah, that was definitely a big change. How old were you when you got diagnosed? Did you say late uh, 20s? Yeah, that was, that was um, 20, 28. Yeah, 28 when I got mm. diagnosed. And you they, did you go on medication immediately or was there a delay or a wait? It didn't take a long time to get medication prescribed, um, actually. So I think from uh, from the assessment to the first time I took medication, I think only like maybe not even two months, much less actually. Mm. So no, it was actually no, it was quite good. And of course, like with the medication, there's the you know to people who are listening, there's of course there's it doesn't work for everybody necessarily the same way, and there are many like other things to so like you know the both of us we are basically not qualified to give any advice on that of course but um you know i guess always interesting to hear everybody's experience on on how medication is is affecting you and yeah and also like in in this department there seem to be like lots of people who are strictly against it there are people who are all about it sometimes i wonder like how much is actually based on science how much is actually based on ideology that's sometimes like a thing that you have to be aware of but um i would never cancel that option out i mean it's you know i think it's always like important to, to scan so what what kind of support systems are available and how is that working for you yeah no that it is really good advice and i was i was talking to matt gupwell he was my guest on the first episode and he had some really good perspectives with saying that um well like any human being you will have like a, a perfect version of yourself and you have a not so perfect version of yourself. I don't, I'm not going to quote him, but that's roughly what we were talking about. And to set yourself up to be in your, in your best version, you do certain things um, in the in the run up to whatever it is you need to do. So, for example, now I'm recording podcasts. So in the morning, to make sure that I hopefully present and my mind is in its best possible version. I, I go for a long run. I make sure that I'm hydrated. I um, I don't do things like breathing exercises or meditate. Uh, I don't go to therapy. But for me, like run, running is my kind of thing that I've always kind of said is my med ADHD medication, which isn't isn't 
particularly helpful and I'll, and I'll probably change that if I do start taking ADHD medication but it, my the trajectory of my day is considerably different if I don't go for a, a, my morning run for me I find it really fires up my mind and enables me to have a more productive day than if I didn't go for a run and I suppose everyone has their own different things that will make them function better but also on the flip side they might have things that if they're exposed to will negatively affect their day for example if I'm doing something like this I don't post anything on social media for about two three hours before it because if I get a negative comment or if I get someone mm. saying oh um, you used to be funny or um, this is really bad content then it really affects how my brain works for the next two or three hours um, I don't know if that's RSD or if that's just a normal response to criticism but I really like to be on form for meetings when I'm doing a talk on stage when I'm recording these new podcasts um, so I'm very careful what I expose myself to um, so my question is do you find that you subconsciously or consciously avoid certain things or do certain things to set yourself up and to give yourself the best possible chance of of being the best version of of christian yeah um i i do it i actually have like um um two 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 questions i i journal on once once a week and the two questions are i'm not sure where i got them from you always got those questions from somewhere and then you feel like oh it resonates so i i, I take it on and try it on myself um and the first question is what what gave me energy this week so like reflecting on the week and see what gave me energy and then also what took me energy what took my energy if i can split this up into into places people um situations in general just to have like you know a look and at you know because you always know better in hindsight right otherwise you can ruminate about potential things what might help you until the cows come home but so yeah i i do do that possibly i'm not sure like how much i do subconsciously i, I have to bring it into consciousness i guess <laughs> in order to make it effective um but but um there are a couple of things alongside the medication I'm, I'm still trying out new things and figure myself out i think that's that's for me also like the, the fun part of of that journey to be honest um and um so one thing is um, definitely in the morning don't don't check the news don't watch the news don't check the news and now this personal opinion of mine but i have the feeling the news are not designed for you you know to inform you but to trigger you <laughs> because it has to sell somehow like even if it's the big news right so and and i and i don't know an update um every couple of minutes um how many people got killed in you know scenario x y and c like regardless how horrible that are don't, don't want to downplay it I, I recall like 15 20 years ago you just watched the news once a day like at eight o'clock at least uh, here uh, and you were good for the day and now like you get this constant uh, influx of um of news and all the horrible things are happening in the world not that they're not horrible but 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 there's only as much as you can occupy your mind with um and uh, so I, I don't check the news in the morning uh i check them maybe in the afternoon just to scroll quickly through it just to be up to date so that's one thing i do um, I do meditate in the morning, actually, um, and um, also do my exercise in the morning. I think also for like practical reasons, because this is like where I am, because uh, then I have like ticked that off basically, and uh, because I know if I say oh, I'm just gonna do it later, I'm not, I'm not gonna do it, unless um, if I have like um, like like a call um, 
like either an in, in intro call for coaching or a client call or whatever that um, I, I have my my ritual where I bring myself into um, into better shape. So I have a, a mini trampoline which I use. So I, I jump I jump on it a little bit. Um, I do a couple of push ups. I, I, I don't give myself a, a number. Some, yeah, but mm-hmm. um, um, what I also introduce in my in my day is is having cold showers as well. Um, I I really um, I think I've, I've started that about two years ago and I, I really do see the benefit. I, I do. I mean, I feel the benefits of it. Otherwise I wouldn't do it. I, I do feel more alert. I do feel more sharp and um, it's especially great when I, because if I have a call in the afternoon, I don't really want to take my medication because um, you know, there are side effects too. Like it's more difficult to fall asleep um, if I take it too late in the afternoon. So I'm, I'm trying to use some more, you know, if you will, natural ways of, um, you know, of, of stimulating myself. Nutrition must also be a big thing for me. Um, and also reducing, reducing alcohol a lot, um, because I've been, I've been using, and I would say in hindsight, even though it sounds scary, abusing alcohol actually to, uh, to relieve myself from pain or to stimulate myself. Um, if I felt bored, um, and looking back, I, it's, it's hard for me to believe that I thought that this was okay. Um, but of course, you're only smart much later on. So that's definitely also another thing. Um, yeah, um, and I'm always love to learn new things and try out new things that help me to be at my best self, if you will. Firstly, thanks for being so honest. I want to get on to alcohol next um, because that's it seems to be not everyone, but it seems to be a, a common common trend with some people who have ADHD. They sort of reach for dopamine in unhealthy places. But just going back for a second, um, the the cold showers, you've mentioned that. How does it, so you jump in the cold shower and it wakes you up. It makes you feel more alert. Is that kind of the idea? And then they, that you, you carry that extra focus through. How does it affect you when you have a cold shower? I mean, I, can, I cannot give you like a scientific uh, breakdown. I'm more like of a tinkerer in that sense. Um, on say I could try it out. Oh yeah, it works for me. So I keep mm. keep on doing it if it's not uh, hurting. So it definitely makes me more awake. It definitely makes me more alert. It definitely makes me more focused on what's what's happening right now, uh, because I, I guess uh, that's that's simply what it does when you when you get exposure to to cold or mm. I, I guess to any kind of like strong stimulus of of that sort. Um, and I feel, I, I simply feel more alert. I simply feel more positive. I think I also feel my body heating up after that. Um, so it, I just, I just feel more, more relaxed also. I, I just feel clear. I mean, mm. I can, I can only say like how it makes me feel and how, how it's working for me. So uh, I think you need to ask other people about the science behind it. I mean, mm. I checked it once, but, but um, uh, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, an, an expert in this uh, yeah, in, in that in that domain, but um, I tried it out. I felt it worked for me. I felt better after it. So mm. I thought, okay, I continue to do it, unless I think I have a cold or something like this. Uh, this mm. is like when I actually researched: should I still be having a cold shower? Yes or no? You yeah. put the idea in my mind now. I'm, I feel like I need to, after this, run into the sea and experience the, the 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 coldness i mean i can i i do know what you mean because of course i've had a i've been in the cold sea before and i've been i've had a 
a cold shower accidentally before and you do get this alertness it does wake you up so i can i can really see the benefits and i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a go i think i think it'll be really really fun and well maybe not fun but definitely definitely useful and going back to the meditation thing because that's something i've heard a lot um of people just generally say but i i for anyone who's listening that isn't familiar with meditation and that's i include myself in that group what does meditation look like and how does it actually what what do you if you're happy to share like what do you actually do when you yeah, meditate i mean it's definitely not like that you have to empty your mind and chant om that's not what it is i mean, i think that's what many people uh, possibly think you cannot empty your mind like if telling your mind to stop thinking is like telling your heart to stop beating um but the thing is like uh, our thoughts are always either in the past or or in the future and ruminate about things that already happened and things that might happen but don't impact us yet um and um so we often don't realize you know what's happening around us or what's happening to us so what it also does what it does for me if i if i if i sit down and get present with myself um this is also where i get moments of I'm not, not sure like maybe some people would would call it bliss and definitely takes some some practice but it's it's also being actually being more aware of what's going on in me right now i'm being aware of my thoughts if i'm aware of my thoughts and where what's going on in me right now i can make better decisions of how to deal with that um so yeah i mean i'm i tried out different uh, different practices i mean it's usually what i do like 15 sometimes 20 minutes i mean i've been doing this for like a couple of years already so um i'm not sure like if i'm the best person to give advice on like how to get started on that um i mean there, there are lots of different apps out there i think headspace is a popular one uh, mm. for beginners to get started but yeah i um so I, I i sit down on a comfortable place usually cross leg you don't have to do it cross leg you can also do it sitting position with back straight then i take a couple of breath through the nose and out uh, through the mouth and then I um, go into my five senses so I'm trying to be completely aware of like how does everything feel like the clothes on my skin like you know what I feel underneath me like feet on the floor just to, just to have like this complete presence apart from you know and, and, um, and not either ruminate the past or overthink about the future um, I don't want to say it's like a, an, an escape maybe maybe a little bit but then also other having a mantra word like i use the word one simply or you can also just count count your breaths for example um just to get back into present i think i find it difficult like to to um yeah i'm not sure if that's that's helpful um i think that that would require mm. maybe another episode um yeah. and maybe need to get a, a person on on this podcast who is like really really into that mm. um well, you've planted the seed. You've you definitely planted the seed. You have in my mind, anyway. Um, yeah. And so no, but but meditation has been uh, very helpful, and it's very difficult for me to imagine my life without meditation. But I also know people for whom it does not work at all, and and they do yoga instead, which is also another form of you know getting present with my backbone. <laughs> yoga is kind. Of <laughs> so um, I think I tried yoga once, but like I always. Uh, cancel that straight away um but maybe i just haven't found a practice yet that is beginner friendly so mm. um yeah I, I do meditate in the morning 
in the afternoon, not so much. I haven't been doing this in the afternoon, but I, but I'm very, you know, keen to experiment with lots of things like NLP and, and, and whatnot. And, um, and there is so much out there, of course. And eventually, yeah, it's much more important. And I find to look back and see like, how did it affect me? How did it work for me? Did it not work for me? And, and also that it's okay if it didn't work. Um, just because one person posts on LinkedIn, do meditate like for this amount of time every day or do this or have the gold tower. Uh, don't, don't get, you know, don't feel ashamed if, if, if that's not working for you. Um, this has been uh, like, when talking to what I'm talking to you about now, like in a couple of minutes is like, like years of experimenting and, and practicing. So, um, but that's, again, I, I find the interesting part of the ADHD journey to figure yourself out, um, or to finally become the person who you already are, but, but, but you couldn't be that person because you covered yourself in layers of, of masks all the time. So sometimes I wonder whether I'm actually not, 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 not changing, but actually finally becoming the real me. Mm. Uh, if that makes sense yeah no it, it definitely does it, it, you're spot on and it's the main reason for starting this podcast is to talk about conversations like this and show that it such a broad spectrum the condition um and it affects all of us differently it manifests differently in everyone and if you have certain mechanisms or things that you you do to help or to hinder then it's going to be individualistic and so different and what works for some pe some people isn't going to work for someone else and, and vice versa the i'm keen to talk about alcohol but also you've mentioned masking and i was trying to think which one to talk about first um i think we'll go into alcohol because that's something that is really close to my heart having had a big issue with alcohol in fact for me like my alcoholism was my primary or I thought was my primary trait or, or issue and I think as I now look at my history of problematic drinking through the lens of ADHD I think it was probably a symptom of the ADHD um, and me sort of desperately craving stimulation and dopamine and just it was a way I dealt with the chronic boredom that sometimes life presented to me there was a fantastic theory from my first guest who said that it was social media that gave me this massive flow of dopamine mm. um the building of the social media communities and then when i had to put my laptop away and and try and match that level of rush and dopamine that it was impossible because of the way social media platforms are that um that i turned to alcohol and the timing was perfect it was sort of 2000 and uh 2013 that i stopped using social media and that's when i started drinking problematically and i ended up in hospital on numerous occasions mm -hmm. and i've been to alcoholics anonymous and it, so it's, it's a big part of my history and i've only now with the diagnosis of adhd and the understanding and the awareness of the connection between adhd and addiction um that I'm fascinated to talk to other people. I don't know if you're as extreme as that or if you just, you know, drink uh, from time to time or are you a are you a, are you a casual drinker would you say or or are you a are you a problematic drinker or no, I I wouldn't say like yeah, difficult to say like what is a lot and what is I mean it 
that possibly depends on like whom you whom you're talking to. Um, but but like by medical standard, I think there's like a medical standard of how much alcohol a week is actually too much, and I was definitely uh, above that standard. Like nowadays is um, so at the moment I think I have like one or two drinks max a week, and that's basically it. Um, I don't drink anything throughout the week um, because I know like only one drink will have even if it's a minor impact it's like also like the you know even regardless whether you brush your teeth or not you still have that taste in the morning you do um, and I, I don't want to have that simply um, and, and I know like when I get up in the morning I want to be you know fully alert and I want to you know be um, you know in, in my best healthy condition that I can be because I know my my body will thank me. For, I know, it sounds like a cliche, but but my body will body will thank me for that. Um, and um, I think the last time we had, you know, a couple more drinks. Like, I think the entire weekend was like my ADHD played out much more dramatically. I had uh, terrible mood swings. Um, was way less unfocused. I, I think most people are anyway um, when you drink too much. But I had the feeling that my ADHD traits were playing out much more dramatically, um, not in a good way. Um, and that was like a further, you know, motivation for me to, to really, really tone it down, um, mm. tune it down. So, yeah, I mean, it, it used to be like in, in Vietnam, I think we, we, we went out two, three nights a week. So I would be drunk two, three times a week, which is like now which I think is like that's that's crazy, um, but of course you need to appreciate where you're coming from, um, and I know that would not happen again today nowadays. So, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's a common experience for many people. At least I talked to several people who who did use alcohol also for to self medicate to get the stimulation they wouldn't get. And what I also hear is like apparently uh, it's interesting when you said you know the, the social like the dopamine rush you get from that social media experience and then you close your laptop and then, okay, what now? That's apparently the reason why I heard why many like uh, uh, like rock stars become alcoholics because like after like the, you know, like the, the rush, the dopamine that you have when you perform on stage, it all suddenly, you know, is gone when you're off stage or when you are, you know, not on tour. And then you try to find a substitute to get like the same level to the same level of you know excitement. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure like whether it fits into the you know the ADHD narrative here, but but talking about dopamine or about stimulation is um, I think I think it may make sense that yeah that, I mean it's being used as a tool unfortunately to to self medicate and I think that's why this experience is possibly also so so common. Yeah. No, absolutely right. I agree. And I think I and many others with ADHD, I think, but I'm, I can only speak for myself. I, f I feel, I think, uh, things a lot stronger than a lot of people. I feel happiness. I feel sadness. I feel joy. I feel excitement. I feel boredom a lot more strongly than other people it's it's so it can be chronic i mean the, the the good times can be super good and then the bad times can be really bad and so when when, when i close my laptop and i put the social media away the, the the contrast is much more extreme 
Mm. Um, so the the boredom is suddenly chronic, and I'm and I'm, I'm I'm desperate to find an alternative source of entertainment, and it's just so easy to to pick up a bottle, and you and the the reward is instant. There's no delay at all, and there's no effort either. Um, of course, it's, it takes no effort to to swallow a bit of liquid, and you feel amazing. And then once you get that sensation, you want more and more and more and more, and it's it turns into a compulsion, and there's no ability to stop. Um, so that's it makes sense as well with the 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 rock star analogy, and I can see the similarity between between that rush that they get on stage to the rush that I get when I post the content that gets thousands of likes mm. so they come off stage or i turn off my computer and that where's the bottle i need to carry on this almost artificial level of joy and excitement that isn't like a healthy level no i can i can relate 100 percent. i mean it sounds like you 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 can you you can drink uh it sounds like you have had a you know perhaps had a drank a little bit too much at times but you've got it to a degree under control now, I mean, the fact, the fact that you can drink a couple of drinks a week is suggests that you are, you have that moderation ability to moderate your drinking. Yeah, uh, which... moderation is difficult with ADHD. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Did you know, like, uh, did you did you read uh, Faster Than Normal uh, by by Peter Shankman? No, I've never read a book, and it's not something I'm uh, <laughs> like. I, I've I've tried. I like, don't be fooled by the books I mean, behind me. But yeah, uh, I've I mean, never. Yeah. Makes decoration. No, I, th I think I have it as audiobook. <laughs> um, so, and um, I think he said like um, uh, about moderate, like there's no, there's no such thing as moderation for ADHD years. And that's why he doesn't understand why anything like leftover pizza, why, why that exists. It's either <laughs> gone or not. Masking. That's a topic I'm really keen to cover probably before we end. Um, we're going to, I want to talk about masking and then if, if, if we've got time, I think we should do just mention the ADHD coaching because that's actually something I'm fascinated about. Um, but just first, it's a broad question and it's a big one, but do you think you mask or you have masked in the past? Yeah, I mean, I mean definitely. It's like, um, um, I, I think like the metaphor I always used is like, um, you know, Jane Goodall went went to went to Africa to study primates to study the behavior to make sense of it, and I feel like it's a bit of a, a little bit like me. Like I, I always try to make sense of behavior of other people to imitate it because okay, that's so in that situation, that social interaction between these two people is acceptable. So I need to imitate that, right? So that that's how humans work, right? That's that's how I always like feel a bit of an of an alien who doesn't really know how i should behave right now so i overthought my own behavior because also because if i if i step into my adhd okay in, in hindsight i can say adhd behavior it would not be rewarded necessarily because it would be perceived as being too much or um, complicated or weird or or whatever so you put on basically a mask and, and try to study people's behavior. I mean, that's my experience, right? So study people's behavior. And, but then you figure out in, in the end that, again, it's also different for every person. So for like for every person you meet, you basically have to unlearn <laughs> everything that you learned about studying behavior from a previous person because it doesn't work for everybody. So it's like lots of overthinking of how to act right now and, and trying to 
hide who you really are. Um, and, and that's actually the, you know, what, what's really draining the energy is actually not ADHD itself. It's pretending not to have ADHD. That, that's, that's actually the, the biggest energy trainer. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been masking a lot in the past and I, I possibly, I possibly still mask uh, nowadays every now and then. I think I, I observe it uh, better than before, but it's also about then, you know, finding the right, finding the right, right people, people who are good for you um, and, and being in an environment where you are accepted for who you are, who you are, which of course doesn't excuse every behavior uh, that you have. Like if it's been coming for you to insult every person, of course, that's not necessarily commendable to continue doing because simply because it is an impulsive thought. You don't like this person's whatever. And because like, this impulsive thought comes to your mind to say something about it, it doesn't, you know, it's not maybe commendable to do it. However, you should feel, you know, in a situation where you feel safe enough to, to be who you are. You, you know, these kind of people where it's complete, where you can be completely comfortable to just sit together in silence. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, I mean, that's probably the best thing that, that can happen to you. Um, if you find these kind of people, even though if it's two ADHD years, I'm not sure like how long it's going to be silent. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, that's, also like also like you know what what does professionalism mean um how do you need to dress apparently um and basically like you know bending yourself or molding yourself into somebody who are not just so you fit in but fitting in doesn't mean that that you belong because you deny yourself you deny you know certain parts of yourself in exchange for being accepted and and that's that's the big that's the big issue here um, uh, at stake. So, mm. yeah, masking has been a big one uh, for me, definitely. I had this conversation with on a on a previous episode, and we were discussing masking, and we, or I, I thought about my own history with presenting in different ways depending on what situations I was in, and I th and I came to the conclusion that there are many versions of Alex depending mm. on where I am or what I'm doing or how well I know someone. But there, there, it, there's never a, it's never something I have to force. It's never like a, a conscious effort to, to act a different way or to look a different way. But there is definitely some drastic different versions of me. If, if, I, if I meet someone new, I can shake their hand confidently and I can have a good posture and I can look very confident. But then maybe half an hour later, I, I have, I've, I'm not getting anything from that situation anymore. And I, and I don't have the energy and I can mm. almost come across as quite rude and c completely different. But the version of me at the beginning of the meeting wasn't fake and it wasn't forced. And the version of me half an hour later isn't fake or forced. So is that masking? Would you think like that's, the first, that's a, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. Um, I, I don't necessarily think so because it's like, you know, there's like more than one way of how we can show up. And it also depends on the social situation. Um, I find it difficult to like put in like, you know, draw like a red line, you know, what is mask and what not. But I, I, I would simply put throw the question in the room is the way that you show up to other people, is that draining your energy very constantly or do you constantly feel that um, you you don't feel safe for who you are? I think 
I think that I think that's that's possibly the question here. Um, because you can, you know, you, you might feel completely safe regardless of, you know, regardless of the way you show up. Like if you show up as like the, you know, firm handshake, confident Alex, you might feel safe. If you show up as, you know, the more quiet and reserved version, if, you know, if you still feel safe in the situation and feel okay about that, then then maybe it's not masking. So, yeah, I, I would not necessarily draw a, a red line in the sand, but I think it's more about the question, do you feel, you know, do you feel comfortable to show up as, as, as who you are right now? Or do you feel you have to deny or be in, in, or deny these parts of you because you might be afraid of negative consequences? Mm -hmm. um, so I think the question of safety plays, plays a big role there. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you're right. And it can be exhausting. Um, it can be exhausting to maintain a level of presentation that is in a situation that's no longer no longer giving you the energy and that you need to maintain that version of yourself i think i think for me if i was ever in a situation and i was the strong confident put good posture firm handshake loud voice version of alex and then i for whatever reason lost my energy from that situation and then i changed to sort of the more reserved version of alex i suppose there probably have been some situations in the past where i have maintained that other version of me in order to keep up appearances and in order to not like you said appear to be um appear to be inconsistent or appear to be not who they wanted me to be in that situation mm. and i don't know if there's an element of like people pleasing in there or or yeah. perhaps i mean I, i'm in a fortunate position where um i i don't work for anybody or i don't have a boss so i don't but i can see that if you did if you were in that position and i have been in that position in the past where you might be fearful of your um position if you were perceived to be a certain way and that certain way might be the way you're the most comfortable in presenting or the one that you feel the most safe in but you're not necessarily it's not necessarily the the the, the image that you think your boss wants you to show so i can see that there can be a gap a massive gap between how someone might be feeling inside in their sort of natural safe um version of themselves and how they feel that they need to present themselves and I suppose that's probably a, a quite a privileged position that I'm coming from where I'm saying mm. I've never ever faked it or, or forced it. Did, did you want to, could you, obviously you do a lot of ADHD life coaching. Where can people find you? On, on LinkedIn and, and only, on, on, only on LinkedIn because if I went to any other social media platform, I um, would possibly die. Like managing LinkedIn alone is, is, is enough for me. And um, so that's like the the best place to find, like the only place, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's easy. To, it's easier to keep it in one space. Yeah. Um, sometimes. Okay, Christian, I think we'll 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 leave it there if you've got to shoot off because I but I could talk to you for hours and and I'd love to have you back on another time, um, and we can we can go over some other things. But I think we've we've covered a lot, and I think it's going to be a big episode for for people, and hopefully it'll be valuable. Um, yeah, thank you so much, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, I think you do. And, and thanks thanks for all the, the work that you're doing and uh, and helping people feel seen. That's 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 super important. And um, yeah, it's great that you use like the, the reach that you have 
at least from what I see on LinkedIn for for exactly that. And um, and yeah, um, I'm I'm very yeah very very happy to see what you know. Um, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to see like how this podcast is gonna come along and what's gonna turn into. So pretty cool. Thank you for that. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, me too. If I can just help, you know, a couple of people listening and make them feel less alone, that's 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 really the, the goal of the podcast. And yeah, I, I don't really have a long term plan for the podcast, as you probably can relate, just going day by day at the moment and seeing what happens. So I don't get overwhelmed and, and crash and burn and don't do anything uh, one episode at a time. But no, thank you so much, Christian. I really appreciate your time. And I'll, I'll speak to you again soon. Okay, have a good one. Bye. Brilliant. Thank you so much. 